Welcome everybody to my podcast, Big Little Small Talk. I'm Megan O'Hara-Sullivan and I love to talk, but I also love to listen. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome listeners to Big Little Small Talk. You're with me, Megan O'Hara-Sullivan, on Community Radio 102.7 FM. On Big Little Small Talk today, we've got a young person called Brianna Humes who has got a big story to tell. In fact, a few stories to tell and one of her own. But I'll leave that for later. Welcome along, Bree. Thank you so much for having me today, Megan. Bree, you're a young Aboriginal girl from Western Australia, I believe. Yes. Can you just explain to me how you ended up in Toowoomba? Okay, so um, I was born in Canberra, um, raised by my grandma and my grandfather. Um, towards uh, Closer towards the retirement, we decided to move over to Western Australia, which is my grandfather's um, home country. Um, so he's Noongar, um, and we lived there for about 12 years. Um, and then in 2011, 2012, we decided to move over to Toowoomba just to be closer to my grandmother's family. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a journey. We decided to drive all the way from Perth towards yeah Toowoomba across the Nullarbor. So it was really nice. It was a good transition with the family and um, coming over this way. So my grandmother, she's Gunish Jamara and Jarwin. So uh, Gunish Jamara, her father is Gunish Jamara, um, and Jarwin comes from her great grandmother from the Northern Territory, um, and unfortunately she was a part of the Solar Generations. Um, but I'm also Wiradjuri, which is on my father's side as well. So I've got four tribes that I belong to. Yeah, I want to talk about um, that quite a bit today because we've just had National Closing the Gap Day and um, I want to talk about that and I want to talk about the voice. But just being raised by your grandparents, are you able to talk about the circumstance of that, why that happened? Um, yeah, so my um, when I was born in Canberra, my mother was living with my with her parents, her mum and dad, Gabali, which is the Aboriginal word for grandma that I call her by. Um, And yeah, she just over the course of the years um, struggled with a lot of mental illness. Um, So um, yeah, my grandparents decided to, you know, we're all so close. So they took on the honour of bringing us up and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, When you say us, who else is there? So it's my, I'm the eldest of uh, two, so us three, sorry. Uh, my brother, he is 16, turning 17 this year. And my sister, she is 18. Um, and they've just just left high school at the moment. Um, coming, no, sorry, <laughs> cut that bit out. Okay, so mm. my sister, yeah, she's 18. She's currently at university um, here at UniSQ in Toowoomba. Um, and my brother, he is 16, turning 17 this year, and he's currently um, at Knox Grammar School in Sydney boarding at the moment. Yeah. What age were you when you went to live with your grandparents? Had you, the three of you, been... So just to set the context, yeah. how much older are you, are you than your next sister? Um, so how old are you now? Yeah, okay, you so <laughs> I'm, I'm turning 22 in April, April the 12th, so only a month ago. Um, so, yeah. Born in Canberra, 2001. About three years later, my sister was born. Um, and by the time I was about three months old, um, my grandparents took guardianship of me. Um, and so ever since my sister was born three years uh, later, they took guardianship, as well as my younger brother, who was about two, three years later after that. Mm. So there's a bit of a 
age gap. Yeah. yeah. And so your grandparents have always been in effect your your parents. Yes. And what sort of age were they when they started to take on a young family again? Um, so my grandmother is 75. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they'll, they'll, you know, um, in the midst of retirement um, and finishing up their careers. So um, yeah, I've had a lot of time with them. Um, and you know, they've been terrific grandparents. They've taken me all over the world. And definitely um, with my grandparents, I've been able to immerse myself into my culture a lot more. Um, Whereas I don't think my mother would be able to um, bring that for us at that time. Mm. So, so just so I've got this straight, your, those grandparents are your father's parents. Is my that mother's. correct? They're your mother's parents. Yeah. And what were they able to give you in terms of your culture that they weren't able to give her? Do you think so much? So, when my grandparents raised my mum, they were all living in Sydney, um, and th- my my grandmother was a public servant um, in the Sydney area. Um, and then it wasn't until we all moved over to Perth, um, Bunbury, I should say, um, we went to an Aboriginal school school called Jiri Jiri Aboriginal School, um, and that's um, Nyunga descendants. So a lot of them were my cousins, my relatives, um, nieces and nephews. So um, there we would always do um, a lesson that was 75 minutes dedicated to learning language, culture, um, and all those other cultural systems. Mm, so, that's yeah. so interesting. I didn't even know, to my shame, that such a place existed. Is there yeah. more places like that in Australia, do you know? Um, it's definitely... Um, I have seen a lot of uh, broadcastings on NITV. There are definitely a lot um, more remote communities that um, have those type of um, resources. So, yeah, it's been really, really good. And is the difference just getting to that question that I asked you before was the difference with your grandparents raising you as opposed to raising your mother that they had the time to do this and say the (laughs) energy to move then to WA and so that you could be immersed in your culture yeah I think it was just um, not being able to be on country Um, and at the time like don't get me wrong um, my grandparents raising my um, my mum they were always within the um, Indigenous community doing things like Native Week. Um, they were very, very out there. Um, so, yeah, I guess as well it's, um, upon that individual to participate within those as well. Whereas, you know, being back on country with all my grandparents' um, family, um, yeah, it was a lot more difficult to escape. So you kind of just grew up with it. Um, and it was fantastic. I, I built really long... Um, life connections with my cousins um, and that Um, but it is sad because living off country now it's not you're not always in contact and it's difficult to know what's going on on the other side of Australia so Mm. yeah was there ever a point for you Brie that you like normal teenagers um, rejected that and said I don't I don't want to be flag flying for the indigenous (coughs) cause interesting you say that um, because coming from kindergarten all the way up to grade five in an Indigenous school. Um, it was a little bit destructive. I didn't really learn, know how to um, read or write until I came to Toowoomba East State School. Um, but Toowoomba East State School, that was 2012, 13, up to 2015. Um, and at that time, um, you know, there wasn't much culture there. It was a lot, um, you know, a lot of kids Toowoomba-based. There was no, not many Indigenous kids there. so. There wasn't a lot of activities or um, discussions happening around the school. 
um, for me to kind of connect with. It wasn't until I came to high school, um, becoming, you know, being opened and exposed to different uh, cultures and having more of those discussions with my friends and stuff. Um, there were times where I was a bit disheartened. Um, you know, heated discussions come up about why do you have a gap room? How come all the Indigenous kids can get go to go to the gap room? Why is there a Clontarf room? What's so different? And, you know, that was just, it was hard to know that a lot of my close friends or people that I would talk to just didn't know, have the knowledge behind it or understand. So sometimes it w was more, less than a discussion, more of a debate. So that kind of made me disheartened and not really want to bring up culture much or talk about it. I mean, there were times where I'd have a friend come over and I'd be like, uh, just out of respectful purposes, I call my grandmother Kabali and she's an elder. So um, if you could do that, that'd be appreciated, not um, by her, her name. And they're like, oh, well, she, I'm not indigenous. Like, she's not my auntie. And it's just like, okay, well, that's your choice. I respect that, but you know, that's my wishes too. So mm. it, it does become a little bit difficult, yeah. Mm. Tell me about your grandparents. Were they kind of um, quite activist type people? You know, talk about living in Sydney. Were they living in the Redfern area or anything like that? Um, so I guess our culture, it really stems back a long time. Um, my great-grandmother, her father was Captain Reg Saunders, which was the first Indigenous commissioned officer in Australia. So he's got um, an auditorium um, at ADFA. They've got um, a memorial room at the memorial in Canberra. So there's a lot of, a lot of things that happen. Um, and so I think that's passed on to my grandma and it really, it really um, inspired her. So she decided to go for a lawyer, um, a, lawyer's, a master's in lawyer. Uh, lawyer, yeah, lawyer. <laughs> and, um, so she was a lawyer for a long time and so had a lot to do with Indigenous affairs um, and within the community. Um, and so did my grandfather. He worked for AXIS as well. Um, and, yeah, so they were always in, um, a public servant in relation to Indigenous affairs. Um, and, yeah, they just wanted to, I guess, teach us about society, teach us about how the world works and how things affect us. Um, and one of the things my nan always talks about is, um, you know, I don't want you to go through or experience the things that I've had to go through. Um, my grandmother, she was um, one of seven kids and I think she was the second or third eldest. Um, and yeah, they didn't live in the best conditions during Sydney, uh, during the Sydney time back then in the 1940s to 1950s. Um, so I guess having that background it just really pushed her to do more and yeah mm. be more and the same as my grandfather he was born on a farm next to a, a windmill dam um and yeah they were i guess excluded or segregated outside of town um so he had a lot to do with that um, activism and um yeah bringing culture onto that side as well mm. yeah Bree, it's a warm day outside. We came inside and I said to you, what have you been doing today? Mm -hmm. And I, I was a tiny bit surprised with the answer. What have you been doing today? Um, so today we, my family, my immediate family, um, decided to do a smoking ceremony at my grandmother's house, which was, 
uh, a little bit overdue. We haven't done one for over five years or so. Um, and it's always good just to do a cleanse here and there. It's supposed to be, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, and because my nan's a communal house, I don't live at home, but I always visit there every day. <laughs> so it's good to have people that come in constantly to be cleansed as well. And that's just to draw any bad energy away. Um, and yeah, just any battles you're, you're facing internally, um, it's good to cleanse that and have a little bit of peace of mind. Um, my partner, he's non-Indigenous and he came along and as we're leaving the house, I was like, how do you feel? And he's like, I feel warm. Like I feel warm and fuzzy. And I was like, good, good. Um, but also besides, you know, Indigenous people are very open and spiritual. So um, a lot of my nan and my younger sister were seeing, you know, little little things in the corner of their eye popping around and stuff like that. So it could have been anything, but it's just good to have. So yeah. what do you mean they were seeing things before the smoking ceremony and that's part yeah. of the reason why you wanted to have the smoking ceremony? Yeah, yeah. it's like over the course like of what sort of things, like bad months. energy or...? Um, I, had, I did talk to my nan about that and she said it's not generally a bad energy. Um, you can pick that up at times. Um, but no, it was just... I think she was just more worried that if that person's, you know, not meant to be here, stuck here, or coming for a message, I just want them to know that I know that they're here, um, and if they could just go, that would be good. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Who's, uh, um, who has authority to do the smoking <laughs> ceremony? Is that your your grandmother or your grandfather or? Um, so it it um, it does vary between each uh, clan and culture. Um, they all have their different laws and traditions um, and it's really difficult to have a general consensus about it due to you know um, colonization and that um, so there's a lot of variance to it um, but from what I was told and how I was raised both on my grandfather and my grandmother they've always done like the elders will do the smoking ceremony um, or the hierarchy of the family um, and yeah it's just you can either do a song or, you know, speak in language. Unfortunately, we don't have, I guess, the luxury to do that um, on my grandmother's side. I mean, we, we do have the dictionary of our language, but it's just having to um, sit there and, you know, um, obtain all that um, information. So, yeah, we, we try to make the most out of it, even though it is kind of um, our own type. But as long as you feel like you've done something for the family and you will feel connected in that way. I think that's what matters most, mm. yeah. And you said that yours is a communal house. Is it just your brother and sister and your grandparents still living there or are there other um, people living there now too? So uh, my grandfather passed away in 2012, um, a few months after we arrived in Toowoomba. So um, it's just my grandmother, my brother and my sister as well as my auntie and her three kids. So my auntie <laughs> does fly foe, so it's really good to just take the load off of her as well. Yeah. yeah. So your grandmother is really pulling that family together, isn't yes. she? Yeah. yeah. Um, and currently she's also raising her um, two other grandchildren um, from her son, who's in WA and he's doing a lot of work at the moment. Um, and those kids are just about to finish school, so we just decided to bring the family together. Um, and, yeah, they're both 16. Um, and yeah, they're there as well. So yeah, there's a few of us. <laughs> Holy moly! Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. She is the she's the pull it all together. The you know peacekeeper. 
yeah she's mm. very vital to our she, family um, sounds like an incredible woman like there's I think in a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families there are these really really strong women and aunties mm -hmm. and yeah. yeah and yeah don't get me wrong like my grandmother her two sisters um that are left out of the seven siblings they all they're all into Wumba so that was the main reason why we moved here and you know they've had a lot to do with the indigenous community and they're very all three very very strong women and they're just beautiful very yeah. lucky to have them yeah that connection of family I'll just remind the listeners that they're in big little small talk with me, Megan O'Hara Sullivan, and we're talking to Brianna Humes, who's a young woman with a big story to tell. And Bri, I want to ask you about your time at Toowoomba State High. Mm -hmm. You were the Indigenous co-captain, I believe. Yes, at Toowoomba State High School, correct. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of an honour was that? Or was that out of the blue? Or you always... I would imagine you have to apply to do that and you really funny, wanted it. Yeah, I did. So funny that you say that. Um, just backtracking real quick, Toowoomba East State School, they didn't really have much culture um, displayed at the school. Um, and we were doing a grade seven farewell um, speech. And my nun thought, you know, there's three of you, about four of you graduating Toowoomba East. Can you do acknowledgement of country? Um, and I, I thought that was really good and just to talk I guess about it and that was the start and ever since then Toowoomba East State School have done an acknowledgement to country and have persisted with that and now if you look at it now like that was 10 years ago seven years ago if you look at it now they've got indigenous murals they do Natal week they've got an amazing program there that they really immerse the kids into culture and you know um, share that awareness coming to Mount Lofty I always wanted to be you know one of the prefects or um, one of the leaders and I guess it was just, it was very competitive. You had really good peers in the school that were intelligent, outgoing, that really fitted that role. So it could be a, dis a bit disheartening, um, but coming into grade 11, I was like, I am gonna go for this position. Um, and they didn't actually have um, an indigenous captain for grade 12 at that time. So <laughs> me and my nan and one of my old friends, Sydney, we both thought, hey, how about we do a proposal to the principal um, and the year 12 coordinators about uh, myself, Sydney and Kinta, another gentleman, be becoming um, Indigenous captains. Um, and so yeah, we wrote up a little letter proposing what we wanted and sure enough, we were able to get that position. Although I really, really wanted to be, you know, just a normal prefect, not in a tokenistic way, but like, yeah, I just thought, not that it was belittling the position, but I just thought, you know, It'd be cool to be up there as well. So I made it happen, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That reminds me of another girl that I interviewed, lovely um, Heidi Lou, and um, she told me she's a, a model and she's a bigger girl and she said, I don't want to be known as the plus-size model. I just mm. want to be a model. Yeah. Why do I have to have a special category for yeah. the plus-size? So it's small steps, I suppose. But... Mm. One of the most other incredible things about you is you spent five years in the Air Force Cadets and I you walked did. the Kokoda Trail. Tell me yeah. about that. I was always fascinated with the Army and Air Force growing up. Um, you know, all the yarns about my nan talking about my great-grandfather, um, going to a lot of the conferences and um, memorial days and, and things like that. So 
my grandmother was like, as soon as you turn 13, we've got you into the Air Force cadets. Um, and it was good because the Army cadets, they've got hundreds of kids. It's very intimidating, whereas the Air Force cadets, it's more, a little bit smaller um, squadron. It's, it's good. Um, and, yeah, every Friday we went there, um, did a lot of learning, you know, had lectures, did a var variance of stuff, all these activities on the weekend, like bushwhacks and stuff like that. Um, and then it wasn't until actually my final year before I aged out of the cadets that my grandmother saw, hey, um, they're calling for two wing, which is uh, the Queensland um, squadron of Australia for Air Force cadets. Um, they're looking for cadets to go in to go to the Kokoda track. So we applied why you had, you had to do a little bit of an essay, why you wanted to join it. Um, and I think, you, I think I sat in an interview with one of the chief officers, I believe. Um, went to an information day to really see if that was for you. And at first I was like, I couldn't think of anything worse. Walking in the bush for nine days, I understand the history behind it and I'm very grateful. Um, but the amount of work that had to go into it. So yeah, we tried it out. Went on a training day for a weekend to see how um, fit you were to kind of get you a taste of what it was gonna be like. And I felt in love. I loved it, yeah. Um, I was a little bit bigger back then than I, than I am now, um, so I did struggle on the uphills and didn't really have um, a good pace, but the training and good effort, I got there. Um, constantly stopping, people knew that I would constantly stop. I was always at the back. The, when we um, finally got accepted, there was about 26 of us, including senior staff that went, um, and all regions of Queensland. And when we went there, we started, we started the journey. Um, and yes, it was difficult. It was hot, it was humid. Um, you know, I didn't want to carry my own bag. I hired a, um, a carrier um, person who was uh, Papua New Guinean, Andrew. He was fantastic. He knew exactly when I was gonna fall. He would grab my bag and catch me. Um, and I made a promise to myself, I would not stop once, even if it hurt. And I kept through that. At the end, we had a, an award ceremony um, and they handed out an award for the most improved and best person to persist through it, um, which was the VC uh, Bruce Kingsbury Award um, that I received for um, you know being strong and just getting through it because it was challenging. It was very challenging. Perseverance. Yeah. Was there originally Indigenous soldiers in Papua New Guinea, do you know? Yes, so um, the main reason why we went was because my great-grandfather, his brother, Harry Saunders, was tragically killed um, by a Japanese sniper on the Kokoda Trail. And so, yeah, that was, it was devastating. Um, Gabali can recall a few letters um, between the brother and um, my grandmother's mum, because at that time they were together and after Uncle Harry had passed away, that's how um, my nan's dad and her mum came close. So that was very interesting. But yeah, just out of respect for all the other Indigenous soldiers um, and Kiwi soldiers that have fought and lost, um, and also lost their life on the battle, it was on their behalf as well. Yeah. Okay, listeners, and if you think that's not enough, tell me about. I Want to Be a Superhero book that you wrote when you were mm -hmm. eight years old and has since gone on to be read out on play school. Uh, let's just start there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. um, 
So ever since I was a little kid, uh, my family would do extensive travelling a lot, always in the car. We loved to just get in the car and go. Um, and a lot of time I'd find myself in the car seat looking out at night time, driving late back home and seeing all the stars. Um, so absolutely my fascination started when I was very young. Um, and there'll be times where um, my great-grandfather, not my great-grandfather, my grandfather would be like, oh, Brie, do you want to go and see the stars? And I'm like, yes, please, let's go. So we'd go up to a hill to our special place where there was no um, light pollution and we'd just look at the stars. And I remember uh, seeing a shooting star and I was like, what's that? And he's like, D if, you, if you wish on it, you know they come true. And so didn't do it the first time. Um, and I was, I was fascinated um, until then. And so every now and then we'd keep going and my desire of the solar system and everything like that just really, really grew. Um, and yeah, one time me and my grandmother were just talking about it from a trip when we, my grandfather, my grandfather and I did decide to go out and I finally wished on a star. And she asked me what it was and I told her that I wanted to be a superhero, mainly because I wanted to fly. Um, and that's hence the fascination with the Air Force cadets. And yeah, ever since then, she's like, that's a great story. Let's, let's write it down, write it out. Um, and still learning how to re read and write. It was just a good exercise for us to do. And yeah, sure enough, she's like, let's publish this. And it was just to be a family thing, you know, a, a um, sentimental piece for us. And yeah, it took 11 years for us to actually find an illustrator um, and publish it. But the main, the main stem from the book and um, the purpose of it was just to encourage kids um, from all descendants um, to do what they want to do, whether it's a doctor, a lawyer, um, a teacher. We all have important roles in the system um, and don't let anything discourage you. I read a quote um that um, Nicole Nelson, who's from Read Plus, I'm not exactly sure what that is, but said, there's a beautiful innocence and simplicity to the story and it has fantastic realism to it. So, you know, and then this other one that said, um, the underlying message is we should never stop dreaming and no matter what others say or how impossible our dreams may be. Tell me about the illustrator, mm. um, Amblin, I don't even know how to say her surname, sorry. It's Amblin... Moulina? Yeah, so something similar. I, I don't want to pronounce it either. It's I, I've tried it numerous times, but um, how did please. you two connect then? Um, so when we first took it to the um, publishing organisation, which is Mullabulla Books, they're an Indigenous-owned um, organisation promoting First Nations um, writers and illustrators. Um, so at the process, it was I'll do my own illustrating. I didn't like it. I couldn't. I couldn't deal with it. Um, so yeah, we, we went out and seeked a few people, um, and it just um, wasn't until they've come back, Mullabell Books, and said, "Hey, we found an amazing illustrator. Let's get this rolling." Um, and I think after they found the, the, um, Amberlynn, it was probably about a year or so after, and then we finally got it published. And yeah, I, I didn't think it was going to blow up nowhere near as much. And um, yeah, tell me about the blowing up. What happened? Tell me about how did Play School get a hold of it? I'm just as curious as you are. It was definitely a shocker. Um, one of my colleagues um, sent me a Facebook message um, tagging me in it saying, did you see this? And uh, it, was, it was amazing. I had no idea. Um, but when it was published in 2020, um, I guess I promoted it through social platforms, but um, so did family, um, close networks had already done it as well. Um, 
my high school reached out and they did a Facebook post about, um, you know, where, where the students now type of thing. Um, and yeah, it was just mainly getting out to schools in Toowoomba, um, primary schools and that, and reading to the classes, them doing Facebook posts, um, as well as it was in the Indigenous Literacy um, Academy top 10 books um, to be reading in that year. So mine made that a few times throughout the year, as well as Christmas ones. So yeah, and even um, a, a lot of people on Twitter um, and things like that did a lot of promotional material of it. So it was it was definitely a, a shocker when it was on Play School. So all of that happened and then did they seek permission for you to be able to, for them or tell you that they were going to read it or you just saw it after it had, it had been already read? And filmed on, and and played on yeah Play yeah so I, I guess it was already in the in the backlog for it to be uploaded I think the week later um, but I I was like quickly going through my emails and I was like is there anything on here about it and I, I couldn't see it so I'm not sure if I have the full rights over the book I guess there was um, some sort of contract that we all agreed on but I was a lot younger so I have to recall my nan. But, you know, I'm, I'm not offended at all. I'm, no, I'm very thankful for absolute it. Absolute thrill. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's really good. And you can find that on YouTube. You can find yeah. Play School oh, oh, reading it. Yep, and I've as well. They've got, um, it's called The Dreaming. Um, so, uh, yeah, The Dreaming, which is one of the first Indigenous segments of um, Play School. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, you were studying at one stage at UniSQ. Are you still doing that? Yes, I am. I, I, I definitely am almost finished in, in October. So uh, definitely anticipating the finish, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. And what were you studying? I don't imagine you were studying music <laughs> no. or um, something. <laughs> That'd be ideal. Um, <laughs> I, at the moment, yeah, I'm doing a Bachelor of Science, double majoring in Environmental Science, Sustainability, Community Development and Indigenous Studies. Of course you are, because yeah. that's what we do when yeah. we're an overachiever, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it? makes the rest of us feel bad. Yeah. I'll just remind the listeners that they're in a segment we call Big Little Small Talk with me, Megan O'Hara-Sullivan, and we're talking to Brianna Humes, a lovely young girl who lives in the Toowoomba region who's got a lot going on. Brie, I want to ask you about National Closing the Gap Day and your understanding of what the metrics about around closing the gap are and I guess I you talked about wanting to um what what you're studying but where is it you kind of want to be or what do you what do you want to do not when you grow up but yeah <laughs> where's it what's your sort of burning ambition um I'm still navigating that I guess I'm lucky to have uh chosen the the path that I have um, chosen because it opens up a variety of avenues to go down and explore so I'm keeping my um, options open at the moment um, but I'm very comfortable where I am I do want to be in the industry you know with society, um, sustainability and science and um, yeah just I'm more on the side of helping First Nations people as well um, I'm definitely um, inspired by that as well mm. so let's just talk about the closing the gap because Closing the gap are things like um, young people, not young Indigenous people, not overrepresented in the judicial system, and um, that everyone has uh, fair ed- chances at education. Um, and but some of those rates are not closing. In fact, they're opening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, how do you, how do you feel, and what's your thoughts on that? Uh, so, it's definitely uh, unsettling. 
and disheartening to know that these government implementations and programs haven't really worked. Um, I guess it's it's good to know these things and spread that awareness because um, it's important leading up to the voice to parliament. But from my perspective, uh, doing a lot of study and research um, specifically in that area, uh, there is a lot of misconsensus, misinformation uh, um, spreading around statistics and I don't know them off the top of my head a lot, but yeah, there are um, gaps that are widening in the educational um, and economic uh, statuses of the area. And I, I couldn't imagine, um, you know, regional, it's different compared to remote. So it's, it's definitely something that needs to be worked on, mm. yeah. I'm glad that you brought up the voice because that was another question that I wanted to ask you and I heard you speaking the other night and I just caught a little fire in you in what you said about people's understanding and what we should be doing perhaps locally mm. to make the awareness of the voice and the importance of the voice a little more prominent. So tell mm. me your thoughts on that. <clears throat> um, so... The voice for me, uh, I'm I'm a yes vote. Uh, so is majority of my family, um, and I respect any other choice. Otherwise, um, there's no um, judgment or discrimination against that. Every person's um, opinion is completely valid. Uh, for me, I'm a very logical person. I like to stick to the facts um, and you know the numbers. Um, and from what I've seen and heard. So I guess from what I've heard, I'm speaking to friends and relatives and people also in the community. Um, there is a lot of, um, you know, political ignorance and, and misconceptions circling around the community. And I, I would ask a lot, a lot of my uh, friends that are in their early uh, 30s, mid 20s, um, and they all kind of say, what's the voice? What is that? And it's it's a shocker. Like you're like, oh gosh, it's all over mainstream media. I guess maybe my algorithm is fixed to it, so it pops up all the time. But yeah, I, it's just it's different because people have completely different opinions about it. Um, and it's so just maybe I can ask you because even as someone who watches the media a little bit myself, I I find it hard to articulate exactly what it is and I know that's part of the reasoning they don't want to come out and say exactly what it is because it has to be shaped around what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people want and they haven't got there yet and if it's too narrow then it's um, but my understanding is it's um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people will be consulted on issues that that affect them is that a fair assessment? Um, I think um, from what I can recall in the context that I am voting for yes for is that um, there is an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander advisory committee um, and the executive parliaments and uh, members of parliament will present problems or you know new policies, bills, anything like that to the advisory committee um, to just present advice, give direction and guidance on on these issues. Um, and now the, the parliament and in the executives, they have no jurisdiction to abide by those advice. It's simply just a discussion, awareness, you know, um, just tabling these 
really hard, difficult discussions to the community. Um, I, I don't know uh, the facts or the planning behind who will sit on the committee, um, but I guess that's up to the community's determination to figure that out. Um, but you also have amazing people like Michelle Davies, who is an Indigenous um, academic from yeah from Sydney, I believe. Um, forgive me if that's wrong, but she does amazing interviews, amazing discussions surrounding the misconceptions of the voice to parliament um, and treaty. And I think it's just really up to, if you're interested, just take up your own um, ability just to do some research um, and, and have a look because I think people forget that it's just, it's a racial thing. Like it's just about indigenous people. It's just about what they want. Um, but it's also a decision that affects everyone. It affects the, the wider community. Um, and I, I did have a lady say to me, like, I've been having, this discussion has been going on for 60 years, 50 years. You, I, I can assure you that your grandchildren will be having the, the same discussion. Well, sorry, I don't want that. You know, I, my grandmother's been fighting this. My great grandparents have been fighting this. How long down, you know, the generations will this be, have to happen? And it's just gonna hurt that my grandparents who are in the middle of it, or, you know, in the heated part of the period where it's where it was going, that they don't get to see the change, that they can't enjoy the rest of their life um, knowing what had happened. It's just, it's difficult. Um, so I want to prevent that from happening and I'm sure a lot of people feel similar mm. towards it. A really great thing that someone said to me the other day um, was a friend said, you know, we don't recognise Aboriginal people in our constitution and the thing about the voice is it's so generous. All mm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are asking us to do is for them to have a say. So mm. it's so modest and so generous mm. when, you know, we've come in here and taken over the country and, um, you know, there's a lot, I know that there's going to be a lot of listeners who have their own thoughts on that, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's just so modest, the voice, and that's mm. all, that, all you're asking of yep. us is to let you have a say. Yep about things that affect you. That's mm. right, yeah. Look, we're running out of time, as, as often happens to me. So we'll go on to the other part of our um, get away from solving the problems of the world. Um, we talked about your book, I Want to Be a Superhero. Do you read a lot of books, Bree, yourself? What's the last good book you read? Um, so the last good book I have read, which is I'm currently in the middle of, um, and it's been an amazing read, is called... Um, Good Vibes, Good Life, uh, How to Self-Love is the Key to Unlocking Your Greatness by Vex King. Um, and so this book is target, targeted towards young adolescent people, I guess, navigating and exploring adulthood in modern society. Um, and he really um, brings up inspiring, uh, I guess, quotes as well as uh, context from his wisdom and intuition throughout his experience becoming an adult. Um, and it's just, it just gets you to look at, at life from a different perspective um, in a positive manner. Uh, it's really easy to be f filled with negativity um, and self-doubt. So I guess for me, I really like the book because it's reassuring that some of the problems um, through, I guess, self-confidence, insecurity, other people feel as well. Um, it's not belittling, belittling anyone's problems, but it's just 
it's a peace of mind to know, you know, that there's people out there that you can talk to and, um, yeah. Mm, interesting. Really resonates with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Do you listen to podcasts like Big Little Small Talk at all, Bree? <laughs> do you listen to podcasts? I do. I do. When I have spare time, sometimes at work, just to keep my mind running in the background, um, I'll listen to a variety of podcast genres, um, top being Australian True Crime. Um, stemming from my grandmother who's a lawyer so um there's always been that interest and fascination with um criminology um and things like that not that I would ever (laughs) want to go into that field it seems a little bit too much for me um but I I I have a lot of uh gratitude towards those people that are um but yeah tell me this because I used to watch my kids listening to stuff while they were studying how can you listen to a podcast and do work at the same time my brain just does not work that way um this is going to sound very random, but from working at McDonald's, <laughs> all the binging in the background, uh, you can, white noise, you can block it out. I think it's it's a, a skill that you inherit when you start working at Macca's, that's for sure. Um, so I can listen, like as soon as I hear one word that's interesting, like I might not be listening to it, but my subconscious is, so I'm like, oh, what's that? And like stop what I'm doing, like listen for a second and then block it out and keep going. So it's interesting, yeah. But it's, yeah. yeah. That's, that is very interesting. And I didn't know you had a career at Macca's as well yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Now you mentioned before about your partner. You and your partner don't live at your grandmother's place. Yeah. And I hope this isn't the answer to this. But my question is, what's the worst date you've ever been on? Um, it's not him, I hope. No. So um, I've never been on a worst date before. I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, I've only ever been on one date. And that was seven years ago with my partner now. So, yeah. and we Where go, did you go on the first date? We went to Sofra in Toowoomba, which is now my favourite uh, restaurant. The ladies, they get a call every now and then asking for all these extra uh, shish kebabs. So I recommend people go there, please. <laughs> Just on um, sort of Indigenous language and food, do you, do you uh, or did your grandmother ever sort of cook traditional food or...? Um, Unfortunately, we, we didn't really have the luxury to do that. Um, the, the traditional food they ate down in Victoria, Gunishimai country, is completely different, I guess, from WA um, in those areas. So, yeah, I mean, besides the general damper and um, things like that, yeah, mm. that was mm. the most that we could really do. What's the kind of worst stereotype? As I asked that question, I thought, oh, my God, that is a stereotype. What's the worst stereotype that you find that people have about Indigenous people that just really gives you the irrits? Um, Everything. Everything about the stereotypes, you know, especially with this youth crime, all I hear is, oh, those Indigenous kids, those Indigenous kids. Oh, that's not the case, though. Um, And it's it's very very misfortunate. Um, But as well as the homeless, the, you know, um, mentally ill drug addicts and, uh, you know, my family have people who struggle with those battles and and demons in their life and at the end of the day I'm very close with those people and I love them no matter what Um, and I don't think of them as any different, you know, we're we're all the same, made out of the same things so it's, it's very upsetting. I don't judge a book by its cover whatsoever, you know, and it, it's really good. It's insightful to have a variant of different different personalities in life. Yeah, mm, for sure. So going back onto my very light-hearted questions, <laughs> my next one was going to be: What's the weirdest food combination you've ever tried? Um, so the weirdest food combination I've ever had would be 
I've recently discovered um, is beetroot and uh, feta dip that you get from Coles or Woolies on top of my grilled rump steak <laughs> with oh. salad. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's just, yeah, very nice. It's a good combination. Yeah. Okay. I might yeah. be able to try that and yeah. see how I go. Uh, <laughs> not so much. So keen on the, um, the steak, yeah. but we might go for the, the beetroot and feta. Yeah. What about, now this is probably something a bit more your speed, Brie. If you could ask for a miracle, what would it be? Um, I was actually having a discussion similar to that with my partner today. It would be the winning numbers to the lottery. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you'd say something about, you know, the, the you know, in freeing all enslaved people. Yeah, or, you well, know. Um, I did talk to my nan about something similar and I guess we both came on to the, to the same terms that uh, five minutes, if we had a little bit more time um, to the five minutes to midnight, the, uh, I guess it's the... The the sustainability clock is when before it when the hand goes over midnight. That means that all reversible changes to the impacts of climate change um, and habitat destruction won't happen. It's irreversible. So five minutes to midnight is what mm. that stands for. So if we could just have a little bit more time, you know, and that's that's what Southern Queensland mm. does. We we buy time. We we buy mm. time to make sure that we can get the, the most you know, sustainable practices in there, get that awareness, engagement and, you know, really work towards healthier communities. Mm, I like that answer much more than yeah. the winning the yeah. numbers to Lotto. Because seriously, if you had a lot of money, what would you do? I would definitely, and I know people say this and, you know, back in the back of their mind, they're like, no, they wouldn't. But I would, I would definitely donate money to research facilities um, and to uh, universities to really um, help that time yeah help mm. help sustainability help australia and yeah fix so you what think we've that done. that's what it is it, it, it you could do a whole lot more if we had a whole lot of money thrown at the research and development and yeah um, in the right hands with the right people with the right criteria i think there would be a lot to be done i think there's a lot of barriers um um and yeah a lot of i guess hurdles that people have to do in order to really get organisations to really um, get the betterment out of those programs and that. Mm, well, that's my thoughtful answer from you rather yeah. than, <laughs> than I'd go on a world trip or something. Yeah. Bree, this is probably almost an insensitive question as well, but I ask mm -hmm. it of everyone that comes on Big Little Small Talk and it's who is their favourite royal? Now, as someone who is a First Nations person living in a colonised country. I don't mm. really expect you to answer if you don't, if you don't want to. Yeah. Well, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I was, I've always known about Queen Elizabeth after the passing of her and her husband. Um, you know, it, I was aware of the royal system all the time. So there wasn't any favouritism. Um, I, I wasn't. Uh, that familiar with them as a Republican but <laughs> yeah um, I'd say I love the drama of Megan and Harry though <laughs> yeah so I guess the more modernized the better I guess yeah where do, where do you stand on them like what what do you think what do you think will happen long term how, how do you how do you think they should be viewed um I guess times are changing you know all these big dramatic changes and people coming up with their own own plans in life shouldn't really deteriorate anybody else from doing stuff. You know, people are going to be the first to do anything and make dramatic scenes out of little little things as well. But you know, I I'm 
I guess, all for what they're doing. I don't know what else has come out now. There's always it seems to be a little bit of news coming out all the time, so I hope there's nothing bad <laughs> that I'm going on. But, yeah, um, you know, they're, they're all it's a very interesting concept over there. Mm. Yeah. So you think that they should be given the space to live their own lives and make their own choices? Yeah, yeah. I guess if it doesn't impede on, I guess, the juris- jurisdiction and the the way that the royal family operates, then sure. But, mm. you know... Um, you don't think yeah. he's been a dirty deserter? Oh, I'm not saying that he's a dirty deserter. I just, I mean, I'm interested in your views. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, look, I don't really know the technicalities behind w- w- what the problem really stemmed from. Um, well, I would, I would, uh, if you read it, it's a, there's a lot of racism. Megan has accused yeah. the royal family of racism, yeah. and I did uh, you know. watch the segment um, that they released on Netflix. Yeah, a little bit of that, um, but yeah, I just. Just a lot of drama. <laughs> I, I'm not keen in drama too much. So oh, yeah. well, lucky I didn't ask you the question, what's your favourite celebrity scandal? Because I often like to, <laughs> to throw that one in. That's it's one of my favourites. Yeah. And my very last one, as a young person, um, are you a dancing person? Do you love dancing? I do. What's the song that can't keep you off the dance floor? Um, it would be Float On by Modest House. Um, it's a very carefree song. I guess it's the a modern equivalent to "Don't worry, be happy." Um, yeah, <laughs> but it's just you know. It, I guess the whole basis of the song is just things happen in life. You have no control over it. Just float on and just go with it because you know things are going to happen no matter what, and it's out of your control. So don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that, I'm going to say thank you. Brianna for sharing your story with me today I met you probably I don't know maybe a year ago and Mm. I knew straight away you could see that there is a special aura or whatever that 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 surrounds you and that I think I think you're going to go on to um, live a big life and um, thank you yeah have a really big life and thank you so much for being my guest today I'm privileged thank you so much Mm. have a good day guys thank you That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me on Big Little Small Talk. I hope you can make the time to join me next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app.